Welcome to Radio Imagination. This is an exploration of the life, work, and influence of the author Octavia E. Butler. I write about people and the different ways of being human. And you can't really do that unless you write about a lot of different kinds of people. She was a science fiction writer born in Pasadena, California. I think I had one choice, well, two choices. I could become a writer or I could die really young. I'm Savannah Wood. This year, a decade after Butler's death, a group of artists and writers will explore her archives at the Huntington Library and bring you a series of performances, film screenings, and literary events produced by Clock Shop, an arts organization in Los Angeles. Today, we bring you a rare interview with Marilee Heifetz. She was Octavia Butler's longtime literary agent. After Butler's death, Heifetz became the literary executor for her estate. I'm Marilee Heifetz, Senior Vice President of Writers' House and literary executor for the estate of Octavia E. Butler. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am very curious. When did you first meet Octavia Butler? Well, it was about 1985, which I know because um, I had been at the Nebula Awards Mm. um, when she won for Bloodchild. I believe the reason I was there was because... Nobody more senior than I could go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I got to sort of, I think I was hosting the writer's house clients. Okay. And I sat next to Octavia. And I have a letter I could read to you from the letter she sent me when she asked me to be her agent. Oh, that'd be great. So I was about 29, I think. She said, Dear Merrily, and this is the one and only time she ever misspelled my name. <laughs> And not because I corrected her, but I think when I wrote back, she saw that it was, so she spelled it M-A-R-R, and it's actually M-E-R-R. Dear Merrily, I've been meaning to write to you for some time to ask you if you will represent me now that Felicia, so Felicia F. was her first agent, who um, was this wonderful woman who was sort of a mentor to me, and she left um, New York and left agenting at, at the point, at this point, and Octavia wrote and said, Now that Felicia is leaving Writer's House, you're the logical person for me to ask, besides your good luck. People who sit next to you win Hugo's. Sorry, (laughs) it was the Hugo. She subsequently won the Nebula. Right. So it was the Hugo that I didn't represent her, but I was sitting next to her. And she says, at the moment, I'm working on the second book of a trilogy for Warner. So Warner Books was then her publisher. They are now Hachette. Mm -hmm. Um, The first book is somewhere around Writer's House with Felicia's name on it. The title is Xenogenesis, The Training Floor. Brian also has a copy. Brian was her editor. I sent it to him, Express, on November 27th, so he may not have gotten around to it yet. This letter is dated December 11. That's pretty funny in Mm -hmm. publishing world. (laughs) Um, If any of this interests you, please write or phone. I'm easiest to reach by phone early in the morning, 9 to 11 your time. She was always very specific about when you could reach her. Um, and, of course, she was on the West Coast, mm. so that was really early. Yes. And that was usually when I would talk to her. Wow. And the number to save you a couple of steps is, <laughs> happy holidays, sincerely, Octavia E. Butler. Wow. So, needless to say, I was very excited. I love that. And I love that she says, um, you're the logical choice. It's right. all very based in right. logic. I mean, she could have had a much more senior and important agent. Well, that's another question I have for you, is where were you in your career when she approached you to be her agent? Um, well, I was taking people on mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I didn't have anybody huge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
How long had you been an agent? About four or five years. Okay. So I'd started out as an assistant right out of college and at Writer's House, which was then a very small agency. And Felicia Eth was one of the senior agents, and she had some great clients, including Octavia. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was very fortunate. So did you feel when you took Octavia on that she would be a major a major player on your team? Oh, yeah. You knew that? Yeah, from the jump. yeah, yeah. She had already won some awards. You knew her writing style. How did your working relationship and your friendship evolve over the over the course of your relationship? Well, you know, it's funny. She, um, I, I, you know, I, when I look at, I brought a couple of letters, and I look at her sign, her sign off. So the first one was sincerely Octavia E. Butler. Mm. We continue with the next letter was sincerely Octavia E. Butler, but then she started to write to me about her, how she was feeling about what she was working on mm. and the specifics. And, and you could sense, you can sense in the letters that, you know, she's really communicating something very important to her. And she starts to say, best wishes, Octavia E. Butler. Finally, she just signs Octavia. Mm-hmm. It, it was a process, you know, because of course she was in California and even though, obviously, she was an enormously important author to me, uh, her career was not in a good place. Mm. Would you um, describe Octavia Butler as a science fiction writer? You know, it's a funny question. I mean, she was she was a science fiction writer. She would certainly describe herself that way, although she wasn't in love with labels, as mm. I'm not either, mm-hmm. um, especially because, as you know, back then, science fiction was a ghetto. But it was a place where someone who was actually an imaginative literary writer could be published. Mm. There was a way to find an audience for those books. And if you've looked at some of the early covers of Octavia's paperbacks, Mm -hmm. they were in the sci-fi section, you know, and you always had to have like some sci-fi element on the cover, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and but people who were interested in, you know, that kind of visionary writing knew where to look. And so, um, so yes, she was a science fiction writer in that sense. But she was fascinated and obsessed with, um, you know, the world. Mm. And she says, Dear Merrily, M-E-R-R, enclosed are the chapters and outline of the first book of my new series, This is the series I wrote to you about some time ago, though it may not seem to be at first glance. This novel, God of Clay, must take place on Earth to set the stage for later novels to take place on other worlds. As you'll see when you read the chapters, the Earth seed communities are especially well-fitted to colonize hostile, biologically rejecting worlds. They are blessed or afflicted with a kind of biological conscience so that they have to think twice about turning on one another when things get rough. Friends, I hate to throw ideas away. They so often come in handy. <laughs> and large numbers of the earth seeders truly believe what they have been taught that, quote, God is change. Such people will be more likely to adapt to new worlds, more likely to accept threatening realities and work with them. These people won't have an easy time when they go out to take root among the stars, but some of them will thrive. My title, God of Clay, has a number of potential meanings malleable God, flawed God, earth itself as God. Olamina as God. Such a title also has a number of potential offspring. God of ice. Perens, glaciers have always fascinated me, so have apparently glacial people. <laughs> God of war. 
parens, has anyone ever commented on the irony of all three of Martin Luther King's names? Mm. Um, you get the idea. I can't say yet where these thoughts will lead. My attention now is too focused on God of Clay. I do know that several of the characters who appear in God of Clay will show up later in other novels. They will scatter to different ships and each turn up again in one of the other Earthseed books. Beyond this, the books will be independent novels, not written in any special order. Each will be about a separate colony, cut off and on its own. Let me know what you think of all this, or at least what you think of the manuscript. I hope you're well and happy. It's been a long time since I've talked with you. Best wishes, Octavia E. Butler. P.S. Where in the world are my paperback copies of Imago? <laughs> <laughs> so you and you can see there that all of the different things that were sort of There's gathering. So many details. She's and, so declarative about how she's going to write it and yes. how it's going to come to fruition. Yes. Tell me what you think, but I've already mapped out yeah, the entire exactly. series, seven books down the line. Exactly. It's beautiful. And I, I had a actually wonderful, gratifying experience with her. I think it was prior to this. Um, I mean, you know, from reading her work, one of her obsessions was, you know, biology, disease, germs, um, virus. And she had been talking about th that. And I had just read um, an early copy. It might even have been an ARC of And the Band Played On. Mm. I lived in New York. It was the 80s. My friends were getting sick and dying. And nobody knew what, what was going on, what was causing it. And when that book came out, it was, you know, it was life changing. And a lot of what subsequently we've learned is, you know, not quite correct scientifically, yeah. but it gave you an understanding of what AIDS was. Mm -hmm. And I told her about it and she said, oh, I have to read that book. And I don't remember if I sent her my copy. I may, I may well have. And in later years, she gave me credit. She kept saying, you know what books to read. Tell me what to read. And it was such a responsibility because right. <laughs> I wasn't going to get it right every time. You're like, this one just came up. I just knew I had it to was get just the one you one. needed to read. Right. Um, but, you know, she just, you know, she would, all her travels were about, you know, learning. Um, and it would all come back into play yeah. in her work. That's something that I've found so fascinating in visiting the archive at the Huntington in particular. Is that there's just files on files of biology, of chemistry, of world events, travel notes, different parasites and what they do, clippings from newspapers. And you find all of these things. They reoccur in the books, just as you said. I was reading... Um, the Xenogenesis series, and in my head, I was thinking, you know what, this cancer thing that's reminding me so much of Henrietta Lacks. I wonder if she knew about oh. Henrietta Lacks. And I went to the archive and found a note card that said, Inspirations, Henrietta Lacks. And I thought, wow. oh my God, that's so amazing. You know, just to imagine her thinking about this other black woman who has become the basis of that. so much modern medicine. It's really fascinating yeah. stuff. And how she weaves all of that into her storytelling is just It's funny because I would have given her that incredible. book too. Yeah. I <laughs> would have thought, that, this is the one for yeah. you, for sure. Yeah, me and a million other people. Several million other people. So being, being in New York, you haven't necessarily had as much time to spend in the archive so far. No, I have not. But you'll be going there today? Yes. Um, and what are some of the things that you're hoping to find in the archives? My goal has always been and is still just keep driving interest to yes. her work. So now, you know, I, I, I know there are certain books that were almost finished and probably 
by anyone other anyone other than Octavia's standards are finished. Mm-hmm. Um, like this book of names that right. she has told me about for years, had told me about. And, um, you know, used to be there was a big market, actually, for naming your baby books. Mm-hmm. Now everybody goes online. Mm-hmm. However, I think Octavia's baby naming book will have, I mean, I she's shown me little parts of it and it's, um, have you have you looked at I it? I have seen it. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's they're categorized in really interesting yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. I think that would make a great book, a gift, because people still, even though everything's available online, mm-hmm. there's nothing like a gift that is a book. Sure. And if it's well designed, um, then even exactly. better. Exactly. And the the really the categories on those are just so great. Some of them are food, some of them are joy and happiness or um magical creatures you know there's yeah. so many different things traveling coming oh, and going so it's it's already organized in the way that she she didn't leave any detail unresolved so already in the drafts there's so much yes um, to go from but i was i am curious um when you think about publishing work posthumously how do you how can you tell if it's close enough to finished um how, how can you tell if it's finished by her standards or not I mean that's a tough question mm-hmm. and that's really it's an enormous responsibility mm-hmm. and I'm going to ask people for help yeah um you know there's there is there are several arguments um that you could say well we I imagine Octavia is not someone who, you know, would hang on in some ways to this, to the idea that nothing should be published Mm. that she hadn't let out of her hands. Mm -hmm. I don't know that. I didn't ask her. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody expected her to die. Right. Um, But, you know, it's, it's a guess. And, and... I certainly, I do believe that you publish it in that context. You know, you don't say, oh, wow, we found this amazing book that, you know, she just hadn't gotten around to publishing Mm -hmm. yet. You know, you have to say, sure, this is what it was. And and what I'm hoping is that these works could be published with an introduction from another writer Mm -hmm. who could address that in a way, you know, in a brilliant and sensitive way that I couldn't. Sure. With um, unexpected stories, for instance, how was how has that been received? Very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the it hasn't come out yet in print form, mm-hmm. which I'm looking forward to. Um, but I was braced for people coming and saying, you know, you had no business publishing these stories. Um, but obviously, everybody knew they were posthumously mm-hmm. published, mm-hmm. and at least one of them had been accepted and edited to be published in an anthology mm-hmm. um, that was never published. Right. So we know that both she and the editor were satisfied with that story. And the fans are super excited about it, obviously. Yeah, I, when that great. When the news broke that, that that book was going to be available, I just saw my whole social media blow up. Everybody on Facebook was saying, oh my God, I can't believe it. There's another book coming out. Yeah. So I think there's, there's certainly a huge audience for her work. And I wonder, um, do you think that there is a renewed interest in her work now? And what do you make of it? And why do you think that is? Well, I do believe there, that's the case. Mm-hmm. And I can see it. Mm-hmm. from her royalty statements and also i have my i have two google alerts mm-hmm. i have octavia butler and octavia e butler as do i <laughs> <laughs> um and there are 
three, four things that come in every day. Mm -hmm. Some of them, unfortunately, are, you know, notices about free pirated editions of her books. But um, but there's a lot out there. Mm -hmm. And and what I believe is is happening is, first of all, um, we have a greater interest in, um, you know, in diversity in I think there are people now who can who are looking to her because of an interest in um, books about African-American characters, mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. Um, science fiction is now much more accepted. So, you know, she she started out in a world where it was a ghetto to a world now where literary writers write books that they would then have called science fiction sure. or fantasy. Sure. What big ideas mattered to Octavia Butler? When she talked to me about things other than her writing, she was mostly talking about um, politics mm. and um, and how, and but it was also politics and science. So it was about global warming, which with which she was obsessed way before most people were. And obviously that all comes together in Parable. Absolutely. Which is a book that I think everybody should read now. Yeah, immediately. I mean, it's it's. we were talking about this the other day. Is Lauren Almina was born in 2009, you know? Right. So this is happening now. I mean, it was prophetic. <laughs> and there's actually early in, in, I think it's Parable of the Talents. Mm. Um, and I've come, you know, I've recently reread both books. Mm-hmm. And... I've come to see them almost as one story. Like it's it's so much sure. of a you know of an arc, but um, as I think this was in Parable of the Talent, at the very beginning um, that you know this terrifying religious zealot presidential candidate, um, and his his tagline is actually "Make America Great." Wow. Yeah. Wow. Make America here Great we are. Again. I know. Here we are. Thank you. Yeah, it's Octavia. right there in print. <laughs> it's like if only we had read this more closely and done something sooner. So we've all heard rumors about an adaptation of Kindred. And everybody wants to see some kind of filmic <laughs> version of it. Pretty much since like I, I don't remember off the top of my head when I made the first film deal for Kindred, but it's been it's been in it's been under option for almost as long as I've worked with her. And it's been purchased. Um, and there are things going on. You know, it's not that I'm trying to hold back secrets. I, I just I always feel that, you know, until something is gonna happen, mm. why, you know, but there's a lot. Because we all wanna know. Well, we know, <laughs> but then, you know, it's like then it becomes no, bad sure. news when it doesn't sure, happen. Sure, sure. But it's not bad news. It's just the process of how um, a, a film or a television show, you know, gets made. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the time, well, most of the time, many times, um, something is optioned, it falls through, somebody else comes in, somebody finds a script somebody wrote five years ago and says, oh, my God, we have to make this now. I will say, mm-hmm. for the same reasons that I think there is so much interest in her, some of the same reasons, Um you know, the interest in diversity, women starting, thank God, to finally have, you know, some power. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, you know, there are more people in a position to make these these projects happen um, who know and love her work. Sure. So. So we'll get a good product out of it. We're hoping. I think so. I think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Radio Imagination is an exploration of the life, work, and influence of Octavia E. Butler. It's all being produced by Clockshop. We're a nonprofit organization that works at the intersection of culture, politics, and urban space in Los Angeles. On the next podcast, we look at a work that inspired Butler to be a writer. And it's something a little campier and otherworldly. At clockshop.org, you can see the full list of our live events around Los Angeles and videos of Octavia Butler and the people who knew her. You can also sign up for an email newsletter and get updates on the project. I'm Savannah Wood. Thanks for listening.